Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and I'm here with a legend today in the sales space. It's the one and only Mr. Chris Orlov, formerly over at Gong, now the CEO of a stealth mode startup. Nick, why should people listen? We are 120, 130 episodes into 30 Minutes to President's Club, Armand, and we've gotten to the point where most episodes, they still get me psyched up, I feel good, I learned some stuff, but I would say 90% of the stuff we talk about, I'm like, okay, I've heard something like that before. Not this one. This was one of those episodes where I walk away and I say, wow, I need to rethink the way that I am selling. The way that Chris not only strategizes his question asking and his discovery calls, but then also the way that he teaches it in this episode, this one is going to be a 30 Minutes to President's Club Hall of Fame episode. That's all I got. And if you don't want to sound like a donkey, a three, two, one, a hee-haw, listen to this episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. 
From there, in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. All right, Chris, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right. Number one, understand the need behind the need. So here's the idea behind this one. When you start a discovery call, customers tend to not answer with strong enough pain that's going to get a deal closed. In fact, sometimes they answer with desired solutions rather than pain, right? When you like launch into your pain question, you say, tell me about your biggest challenges when it comes to X. Your goal then is to understand the need behind the need to peel back the onion. So let me give you a really good example. There was a real discovery call I was on years ago and there was an SVP of sales in the room and there was an enablement person in the room. And we said, tell me about your biggest challenges. And the enablement person answers, we need more visibility into our sales calls. And we said, okay, help us understand what's driving that craving of more visibility. And he said, well, we need better coaching, right? Our managers need to coach better. And of course we continued to peel back the onion Turns out the problem they were dealing with was longer sales cycles. So now we're starting to get somewhere, but we didn't stop. We said long sales cycles, it still kind of sounds like we're talking to basically any company. Any company would love to reduce their sales cycles. So tell me, you know, what's driving you to reduce it. And now the SVP of sales takes over the conversation. And she said, well, we have a cash flow problem, right? When our sales cycles are this long, our receivables start getting out of whack. And we eventually dug and dug a little bit further. And it turned out that if they didn't fix this, they were going to have to raise more money and take a down round. And if you have to raise money as a result of a cash flow problem, you usually have to take a down round. So we went from visibility to cash flow and valuation. One's a $0 deal. And the middle of that sequence was a $50,000 deal they're willing to spend $500,000. So that's understand need behind the need. Awesome, Chris. What's number two? Number two is diagnose the perceived root cause. So write this down if you're a seller. You cannot effectively sell until you understand the customer's root cause or perceived root cause of the problem. So I'm going to ask you a question. Let's say we're going on a road trip. We're all in a car. That car breaks down on the side of the road. What do you buy to fix the car? You don't know yet because you don't know what's wrong with the car. You don't know what caused it. So I'll tell you a real life story and then I'll get into a tactical tip. Again, we were selling Gong and one of my best reps, here's pain, like money. The customer once again had a long sales cycle. That was their pain. And we decided to go straight into a demo and the rep starts pitching how Gong is going to help you get alerted to every time your reps aren't discussing next steps at the end of the call and thus reducing your sales cycle. And the customer just kind of stared at us blankly and he's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. This isn't going to help reduce my sales cycle at all. The reason our sales cycle is long is not because we're not selling next steps. We're actually pretty good at that. It's because we're not selling to power. We're selling to like directors of ITs. So these deals just drag on and on and on. Now, if you rewind this deal to the discovery call, they share with us that they've got pain around sales cycle and we go, help us understand why you think 
your sales cycle is too long. And then they go, well, it's because we're not selling to power well. Now we reorient the entire deal, our demo, our business case, everything that comes from that is smooth sailing versus the damage control and reorientation we had to do. Boom. What's number three, Chris? Round us out. All right. Number three is intensify urgency and build impact. And I have a three-step sequence to do it. Okay. So this is typically something you do in the middle of a discovery call after you've found the pain, you've found the root cause, you pause. And step one is to summarize, right? Summarizing doesn't create urgency by itself, but it creates a seamless transition to then start building urgency. So you say, okay, let me see if I understand you right so far. You've got a close rate problem. Six months ago, it was 23%. Today, it's only 18%. So you're on the wrong trajectory here. When you think about why your close rate is trending downward, it's because your reps sound like donkeys on the phone and you need to fix that and they're feature dumping. Am I on the right path so far? And if you listen well, the customer is going to say yes. Now you've got like the emotional bank account built up so you can transition into step two, which is ask an open-ended negative impact question. And that typically sounds like, help me understand the ripple effects this challenge is having on the business. Now, the Jedi mind psychology of this is if you ask an open-ended question where the customer can go whatever direction they want, you've given them a feeling of psychological freedom that they can you know, do whatever the hell they want. They can answer however the hell they want. And what that does for you is it gives you the right to then ask very targeted, even leading questions without constraining them or feeling like they're being manipulated. If you went straight into a leading question, they would start to resist. But if you start with, help me understand the ripple effects, and they say, well, you know, the ripple effects of this close rate problem is I'm not going to hit my number because the economics don't add up. And now you can ask a targeted question, which is number three, to what extent is this close rate issue affecting your customer acquisition costs? And now they feel safe because you've given them psychological freedom and they can answer that question. They can go, huh, I haven't really thought about that, but you know, it's actually been climbing and that explains why my CFO is all over me and breathing down my neck. And so just to summarize the sequence there is summarize what you've learned about the business problem, ask an open impact question, and then follow that with a series of targeted impact questions about negative impact areas that you want them to be thinking about. That's how you build urgency. All right. So just to recap for the audience, Chris, the sequence that you walked us through is you sort of like got us to a problem. You peeled back the layers of the onion on that problem. You recapped the problem. And then you went from an open-ended impact question to a targeted impact question, right? Let's actually walk this back to the first point of how do you even get to that first problem? So let's assume that you've set an agenda, right? However you've set it. How do you think about your first couple opening questions on a discovery call to get them to that point? So if they came inbound, they have pain, they're looking for a solution, then you meet them where they stand and you say, help me understand what motivated you to want to talk to us today. And they're probably once again going to talk in terms of solutions. I'm looking for, you know, call recording, conversation intelligence, whatever. And then you need to back up and peel back the onion. But the point in that first scenario is you're not immediately asking about problems. You're asking about what they want to talk about, which is what motivated you to talk today. Now, 
imagine if you asked that same question to a buyer who you booked outbound, who doesn't know your company, doesn't know you from Adam, doesn't care. You ask what motivated you to take this meeting, or you ask like another pain question, like help me understand your biggest challenges, which is a common discovery question that works in a lot of contexts. They're going to kick you in the teeth half the time if they're a type A personality. And if they're not, they're just going to be annoyed because they're going to say, I don't know, like you invited me to this meeting. And so the way I teach to do that is you have to earn the right to ask your discovery questions by warming the buyer up. The way I do that is with what I call a discovery prompter. And a discovery prompter is typically a three to five slide deck. I know a lot of the sales world hates decks, but in this context, it works pretty well about the pain you solve. It's not about your product, your solutions, your company. It is a narrative that speaks to your buyer's soul. And it could even be a customer story, but the point is it needs to focus on pain rather than benefits and solutions. So after you spend the first five minutes of the meeting saying, I just want to give you context of like the problem area we tend to play in. Let me walk you through our point of view on the problem. You tell a story that peers into their soul. And then you say, anyway, enough about our company, the customers we serve and the problems we solve. Help me understand you and your biggest challenges. If you did that first five minutes right, they're going to gush with pain, right? Because now you just resonated with them. You've earned the right. So a couple things to call out here for the audience to make this really, 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 there are a couple things that Chris is doing that are super astute. So the first is you're not going to do this all the time, but where a lot of reps go wrong is they jump onto every call and they treat every call as if it were an inbound lead. And they start peppering people with discovering call questions as if they knew what you do. But a lot of times they don't even know what you do. And so you haven't earned the right to do discovery, right? And so the way that I've got around this in the past is trying to understand as my opening question of to what extent do you know what 30MPC does? And I'm curious in terms of what you do know about us, did anything in particular resonate in terms of what prompted you to take the call, right? And based on that answer, right, you'll get someone who says, oh, I looked at your website and this, 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 and this were pretty interesting. And, you know, that's why I was looking to learn more. Awesome. You can run a discovery. But most times with Outbound, you will get someone who says, honestly, you sent me a bunch of emails. I looked at your website 30 seconds before this. So a high level briefer would be helpful. And that's what you do. And at that point, you start to recite the problems that you solve. So Chris, let's say now we're on a level playing field between an Outbound and an Inbound lead right? So it's either an inbound lead that knows what you do, or it's an outbound lead that doesn't know what you do. And you've now explained the problems you solve. Okay. So how do you now transition into discovery at this point of the call? I just do it. There's no transition I do to get into it, right? Like if I've gone through the discovery prompter, the discovery prompter is my transition, right? And I cap it off with anyway, enough about us, help me understand your biggest hiring challenges. Now, if I'm not doing that, then I just transition right off the back of the agenda and setting the objective for the meeting, right? So if they came inbound, hey, here's how I'm thinking about running this meeting. I think we should spend the first 15 minutes making sure we understand your challenge well so that I can speak coherently to it during the second half of the meeting in which I'll give you a high-level overview. Fair? Fair. Great. Help me understand your biggest challenges when it comes to sales hiring. Now, one thing I would caveat that with I sell to sales leaders. I always have, probably always will. That works really well in my sales context. 
there's probably certain sales contexts where like getting straight into pain right then and there, even if they are a warm buyer, it might make sense to punt on that. Right. So, I mean, one of the best pieces of advice anybody can give you when it comes to sales is just not very actionable is you need to figure out what works in your context. I can only tell you what works in mine. Turns out it does work in a lot of them though. So Chris, I want to go back to one concept that you mentioned earlier, which is a lot of buyers will answer with solutions. When you ask them what prompted you to take the call or what have you, or even if you say, what are your biggest challenges as they pertain to hiring, they might redirect you and they say like, oh, that's not a big challenge, but we're really interested in like a call recording tool, right? Or you'll ask what prompted you to take the call and you're like, yeah, we've thought about getting a call recording tool. And a lot of sellers instinct is to go, we have a call recording tool. Yeah, we can help you, right? Yeah. So when someone drops you at the solution level, which is not a problem. It is, we've been thinking about a call recording tool or we've been thinking about sponsoring a podcast. How do you know how deep to go from that point on? Or in other words, like how do you go about unpacking the why behind that? You need to be sold on the idea that money follows pain, not benefits, right? Like selling is not about your product. And I would go so far as to say like benefit selling is like, there's a place for it, I'm sure, but it's pretty sophomoric. Selling is about pain. You have to have that realization or else you're not going to do any of this stuff. You're going to be one of those sellers, which is most sellers, who thinks, if I just show them this cool whiz feature, it's going to like turn on the light bulb and they're going to go crazy over it and I'm going to close the deal. They're going to get excited about your product when you do that, but they're going to go dark on you a week later. And so that's the first shift you have to have. The second thing is you got to get good at identifying the language that is either pain language or solution language, right? Like start mentally categorizing that, right? If I ask, you know, tell me about your biggest sales effectiveness challenge and they go, our coaching sucks. Well, coaching, coaching's not a problem. Coaching's a solution. What's going on in your business that makes coaching a need to begin with? Right. And so that's the second thing I would say is like, get really good at like when buyers are answering, start to like put their answers in buckets. Is this solution language or is it pain language? And then to answer your question about how far do you go, there's an endless amount. It's infinite, right? Like you could like totally overkill a problem. Like, why does that matter? Because we'll miss our revenue targets. Why does that matter? Because I'll get fired. Why does that matter? Because we need to increase shareholder value and save the planet. Right. So there's a place to stop. And the place you want to stop is on the economic buyer's priority slide. So you think about your economic buyer. Like for me, it's a chief revenue officer. And I've peeled back the onion enough to know this is something a chief revenue officer cares about. I can probably stop. Chief revenue officer, they say they care about coaching and they do. It's never going to show up on their priority slide. Close rates, though. If they're painful enough, that's going to show up there. So that's the advice I would have. You know, you have to know your economic buyer. Who is it? What do they care about? And if you've peeled the onion far enough where plausibly what you're talking about could be on the priority slide they present to the board or their boss or whatever, then you've probably gone far enough. I want to ask you about the root cause focus that you were talking about earlier, where you earlier said you cannot start to pitch your solution or how you're going to solve something until you identify root cause of it. And the buyer has stated what that is. 
What do you do if the buyer is getting the root cause wrong? AKA, car's broken down on the way to Vegas, engine's fuming, we all get out, Armand's an idiot, he can't fix a car, and he goes, oh, I think it's a flat tire, and it's not a flat tire, the engine's steaming. How do you challenge the customer and help them redefine the way that they think about things? I love that you're asking this because it goes back to one of the principles we talked about earlier, which is the psychological dynamics of asking open and targeted questions, right? And it's the same motion. So if there is a close rate problem and I ask, why do you think that is? Open question. They can diagnose it however they want. They have psychological freedom. And they go, well, I think marketing is just giving us some leads, right? They're misdiagnosing it or just diagnosing it in a way that doesn't favor you. Fine. Let them answer that way. The point is you just gave them freedom. And now you can start to ask targeted diagnostic questions that influence the root cause in your favor. One of the things I hear a lot about, you know, sales organizations that hire, you know, reps that are like just out of school is they do a lot of feature dumping. I'm curious how much that's showing up in your world and causing your close rates to go down. Now, I've gotten them to start thinking about a root cause that helps me. But if they say, no, that's definitely not it, I just don't have a qualified buyer. All right, go talk to 30 Minutes the President's Club and get you some leads. (laughs) Right. So again, it's like the same motion we talked about with impact. Find the problem. Ask an open diagnostic question. What's your opinion on why you think that's happening? They might answer in a way that favors you. They might answer in a way that doesn't. But the point is you gave them the freedom to choose. And now you have all the leeway in the world to ask a series of three to five diagnostic questions that get them to think about root cause that your product solves. Now, where you get really good with this is when those questions ask about root causes that your product solves and your competitors don't. That's when you start rigging deals in your favor, right? Because if you get a customer to agree, yeah, that you know, root cause of the problem, that's definitely part of it. And that's only something your product can capitalize on and your competitors can't. The buying criteria is starting to form against them and in your favor. Could you give a couple of examples? And if it's helpful to use Gong, you definitely can. Could you give a couple of examples of what that would sound like? Because the wrong way to do it would be like, to what extent do you care about sponsoring a podcast with two good-looking hosts, right? It would be a little (laughs) bit obvious, right? But my guess is you're a little bit more slick than that in the approach. You know, I actually think you don't have to hide being obvious. You're not trying to, like, sneak under the radar. You're giving them food for thought. Now, they can refute that food for thought, and if they do there's probably nothing in their environment that you can solve, in which case disqualify them. I'll give you an example. I'll give you like Gong Circuit 2018 when we were competing against Chorus and we had just released email capture, right? So now Gong is the only solution on the market that analyzes calls and emails. Our closest competitors only analyze calls. Customer comes to the table. Yep, we've got a big challenge when it comes to ramping new sellers, Right, Our annual model, we modeled it so that we ramp sellers in seven months and it's taking us nine months. Okay, So this is painful because we're not going to hit our annual plan because the model's wrong. We say, okay, so here's the open question. Why do you think ramp is taking so long? Well, I think a big issue 
is they're just not getting enough demo at bats, right? That's one of the reasons we're talking is we want a solution where my new sellers can just binge watch our best reps demos until they're blue in the face and can demo as well as them. Now, that's fine. That helps me sell Gong, but it doesn't help me differentiate from Chorus because Chorus can do that too. So now I'm going to ask, totally, we hear this all the time. People come to us with this all the time. Let me ask you this though. It's taking you nine months to ramp these new sellers. That tells me you probably have like kind of a long sales process. Am I right in assuming your sales process is probably like four to six months long? Yeah, our sales process, you know, we sell to the enterprise. It's typically five months. Okay, so... I'm curious how much of your ramp problem comes down to the fact that your new sellers can't shadow an entire sales cycle from first call to close until they've finished five months into tenure, right? If they're shadowing people live, it takes them five months just to see what an entire sales cycle looks like. Is that part of the problem too? I'm not trying to ask a leading question. I'm like genuinely curious here. They go, yeah, like now that I think about it, demos are important. They're probably the most important, but we also have pilot setup calls and a bunch of other stuff we do in between, email summaries, all that kind of stuff. And so now I'm going in the direction of you need to get visibility into your full sales cycle, every call, every email, every outreach call, everything, so that your new sellers can walk into the business and follow an entire sales cycle in an afternoon instead of in five months. It's killer. So one last question for you, Chris, is between what we were talking about before, which is the root cause, and then eventually you brought us to the point where you're going against competitors, something between those two points, at one point you started talking about Gong, right? And a lot of times what discovery calls can feel like is it's interrogation for 25 minutes until you actually tell them what the heck you do, right? And so I'm curious, how do you start to weave in how you can help them into the conversation with it not just being a 20-minute monologue at the end of the call? I typically don't weave in how we help till toward the end, but I still accomplish the same thing you're talking about, which is reducing the friction of the conversation by using a different tactic entirely. And that is summarizing frequently and telling short snippet version customer stories frequently. So I might go question, question, question. And I start to sense that I'm wearing out my welcome with too many questions. And I go, okay, let me just like summarize what I'm hearing so far. And if you summarize using their exact words and you make another human being feel understood, you just put a bunch of money into the emotional bank account. They're going to emotionally exhale and it basically just bought you the next three to five questions. But you can't just keep repeating that, right? You can't do three questions, summarize, three questions, summarize the entire discovery call. So you just got to mix it in with more like emotionally intelligent techniques. Summarizing is a good one. Quick customer stories are another good one, right? Question, question, question. Oh, your situation reminds me a lot about one of our customers who dealt with this situation. Tell a short version of it. Anyway, next question. So, you know, I try not to talk too much about how we help until the end because I want to keep the conversation very focused on the problem, but it achieves the same thing you're talking about, which is it removes the friction from the discovery conversation. It feels more conversational. Chris, there are very few days that I wish the name of the show was 90 Minutes to President's Club because we could talk for three times as much time, 
but unfortunately it's not, and we are running out of time on the clock. And so we got to move to the last question. And the last question is this, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? I think it's uh, what I said probably 15 minutes ago, which is believing that you can show some sort of really innovative whizbing feature and it's going to like save the day. Like I saw that at Gong all the time. Like if I can just show them the fact that you can search keywords and a call and boom, pops up a bunch of calls, their minds are going to be blown. Never happens. You will turn a corner as a sales professional when you realize people like truly don't care about your product. They care about their pain and then your product is a tool to address their pain. You know, that's the habit is like, stop thinking it's about your product. I'm sure you've heard that one already though. So I'll go a step further. Stop thinking it's about your product's benefits and really get sold on the idea that this is about creating pain or finding pain. One of our best yet. Chris, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Chris Orlov include, number one, for inbound leads, you got to start by asking what prompted them to take the call. Number two, for outbound leads, you can't start with that. And so oftentimes you have to call out the fact that they might not know what you do, and you might start by explaining the major problems you solve before you start doing discovery. Number three, then you transition into discovery, and if they give you a problem you're okay and you can keep doing discovery. If they start with a solution, you need to understand what is the problem behind that solution. And then lastly, number four, the key to avoiding discovery fatigue is not by asking question, 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 but rather question, question, summarize, short story, then you can go back to discovery. All right, Nick, how can people help us out here? Armand, I stumbled away from this episode with six pages of notes and turning those notes into something in a document, it's a lot of work for me. Luckily, there's some really kind folks at 30 Minutes to Presidents Club who every single month send out episode summaries and the best tips that we've learned from this show. 
Oh, yes, that's right. 30 Minutes to Presidents Club does indeed have a beautiful newsletter. So if you want to get notes on episodes like this one that you can go share with your sales team to put your stuff into action faster, you might want to check out the link in the show notes. We'll see you in your inbox. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.